uh, another podcast, another technical difficulty. So on this week's episode, Casey's mic is really bad. Um, don't know why, but we will have that fixed. Sorry for the bad audio quality on this one, but nevertheless, enjoy the fruitful conversation. I guess we're going to have to have a revolution of some sorts. A matrix revolutions, that is. You mean... You mean that one movie? This is the movie. And that's the title. I guess I'm gonna have to reload my gun. My Matrix gun. So I guess you could say... The Matrix is reloaded. You mean like that... That movie? I need you to solve this math problem that deals with matrices. Basically... Solve for the Matrix. You mean... (laughs) (laughs) I I was hoping you were going to do the Animatrix next. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I guess if we were going in reverse chronological order, Animatrix (laughs) deserves its own. That's kind of a hard one, though. How do you shove that into a sentence? You go. You do it, if you're Um, so brave. Okay. Hold on. Um... Looks like I just drew this picture. Wow, that's a that's that, a really that's nice it. picture. What's it of? It, it's <laughs> I guess you could say it's animate. I don't know, dude. I don't know. I can't do it the as good as you. You mean uh, like that collection of Japanese short films <laughs> based on the hit movie The Matrix? Like Jinkies. Like Zoic Scoob. <laughs> That's a pretty good Shaggy impression. Thank you. You, you do. You, you gotta. You do your Shaggy impression. I'll do my Marge impression. Okay. Like Marge, what's going on? Mm, Shaggy, you're gonna have to pick up that gun. Give it to me real quick. Like Marge, no, no way. That's not cool, man. Shaggy, give me the fucking gun right now. Oh, jeez, Marge, I don't know about this. (laughs) Oh, jeez, Marge. It's a crossover episode. Yeah. Welcome welcome back to the Rick and Morty podcast, the epic podcast where we talk about Rick and Morty. Uh, Szechuan sauce is today's topic. (laughs) Where is it? Uh, where's my freaking Szechuan sauce? Wee! <laughs> Wee! <laughs> no. Did you see that TikTok? This is like totally a personal comment that I'm adding into the podcast. But did you okay. see that TikTok I sent you of the girl doing Marge Simpson and uh, oh, American Psycho? I saw it. I didn't get to. I didn't get to watch it because I just saw it when we got on. The coloring of the card. <laughs> I can't do Marge. <laughs> That's funny. I love, I love everything, man. And speaking of everything, I love movies. Did you see any, Casey? I have watched um, seven, I think, movies. Holy. Oh, God. Okay. Well, well, you know, four of them are shorts, so I, I should preface oh. that, yeah. <laughs> oh, so actually, um, two of them are my shorts that I put in the movie database that are now on Letterboxd. Freaking narcissist. I know, right? But which I, uh, uh, which ones are in there? Uh, Ladronus, which is my very first FP1 film, and then Jesus and Chili, which is the FP2 film. They're both oh, yeah. uh, they're both on there. I just think it's cool that my shorts are on Letterbox. So that is interesting. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to give them yeah. two star reviews on Letterboxd. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. I, I just wanted to, um, yeah, since I, I saw like three or four movies, though, like feature-length movies, but I'll just talk about a couple. Um, I'll mention them all. I watched Nocturnal Animals with Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal, um, which is a weird movie um, because it's like there's a story within the story, and the story that is within you know the story of the movie is more interesting than the overall story of this movie. Um, if that makes any sense. Um, basically, Amy Adams' story, boring. Jake Gyllenhaal's story, riveting. Um, 
Oh, that's that's kind of surprising. Yeah, it's super weird. The editing is so freaking obnoxious too. Um, but I, I I don't know if it, it was just done a little bit different, even edited a little bit different. Like it would have been like way better, but. Um, that one was a weird one that I watched. I watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That was fun. And, um, I watched Soul. I got around to watching Soul. And I really, really loved Soul. I thought it was fantastic. Um. No, yeah, I think that's Pixar in top form. Really. Yeah. That was, that was a great movie. The animation was absolutely beautiful, dude. Absolutely beautiful. Um. So I, and I watched that, and then um, I watched the short a short film called Jonah that you really need to check out, Isaac. It's got Daniel Kaluuya in it, um, and it's it's super super cool. Um, it's by a Australian filmmaker, and um, it's like a short like eighteen minute short film. It's on the Criterion Channel actually, but I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. It's just called Jonah. It's like a 2013 flick, um, and it's really, really good. Like, really good. I love, I loved it. Um, I so love Daniel Kaluuya. Out. Oh yeah, dude. And I mean, awesome. I, I didn't realize that he was even up for a Golden Globe, but uh, he won one this last week. Oh really? What did he win for? He he won for Judas and the Black oh, Messiah. He won Best right. Supporting Actor. Um, hmm. So that's cool. Uh, and I mean, cool. we, the, the, the Golden Gloves have now happened and we, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. this is the problem when you record early is like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. we're, we're out of relevance, but we did make some predictions and, yeah, uh, we did. I, I said I wanted Borat to win, but I thought that it would, uh, I don't remember if I thought that it would, I think I said it's honestly probably the best one on there, but like maybe Palm Springs would win, but Borat won. That was really surprising. And fun fact, Hamilton has only ever lost one award and it is this award to Borat. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Nice. (laughs) You know, if you're, if you're going to be, yeah, I, I just I still hold by what I said last week, which is yeah, I don't too. think that filming a Broadway stage play like really makes for a film, mm-hmm. you know that that warrants film awards, you know, like that's yeah. just I completely stand by you as well. But maybe if we have our own little special category, you know, like mm-hmm. best stage play, best film stage performance, like there we go, boom, I support it, but. Yeah, other than yeah. that, um, Sorkin won for a uh, Trial of Chicago Seven, of course. which I've I've heard that I've heard that the father, um, which is that Anthony Hopkins has dementia movie. Uh, <laughs> that's a terrible What's way to it describe called? it. The father. Well, I've um, never even heard of it. Oh, this topped like a lot of critics' best movies list. I, I think it's an Amazon original. I've been wanting to check it out, to be honest. But um, okay, I will have to check it out then. It's got it's got Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Promising young woman was in for screenplay. Yes. I know you saw that one. So uh, Mank was in for screenplay and Nomadland. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I I did really enjoy the Trial of the Chicago Seven. But the more I think about that movie, like the more bland I realize it was from like a direction standpoint mm-hmm. and how kind of run of the mill Sorkin it is. Um, I probably would have wanted of the ones that I've seen, which is just Mank and trial of Chicago seven. I probably would have liked to see Mank win. Cause that screenplay really grew on me as that film yeah. went on. Like that was just a really interesting experience. Yeah, I, I agree. Mank is uh Mank is special. I like Mank. And I want to watch it again, because I feel like I'll appreciate it more if I watch it again. Me too. I, I, I definitely want to watch Citizen Kane again before I do that. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, in the in the big winner of the night for drama motion picture was Nomadland, which I still don't really know what it's about or, or yeah, anything I, about it, really, other than Frances McDormand being in it, which I really love her. I still need to watch it, and everybody's that everybody that's watched it says it's really good, except for one person that I know. Um, he's a professor of mine, and he 
I am more apt to trust his taste on things. And he said that people are over-worshipping the movie and that it's not what everybody says it is uh, and that he didn't like it. So I'm kind of interested to watch it and kind of see. And since I'm taking, I'm taking one of his, I've taken two of his classes, so I kind of know like what, you know, kind of what his expectations are and stuff like that. So maybe if I watch it, I'll understand why he didn't like it. But, or maybe I won't. Maybe he's, maybe he's just hipster. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of film hipsters. I I was thinking about this phenomenon actually because I uh I only watched one movie this week and it was Young Adult. Have you heard of that movie? I haven't heard of it. So it's uh it's a collaboration between Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody, who are notable because they did Juno in 2007. Which I think is another example like Nomadland where people got really pissed off. Not necessarily because the movie's bad, but because people really love to worship it. Because Juno was like the hot shit in 2007. Like there were references to it everywhere. You know, it won yeah. Best Original Screenplay. It was it was a very critically acclaimed film. And I personally love Juno. I, so, I was about to say, I was like, I hope you don't hate Juno because I love Juno to death. <laughs> No, oh my god, I, 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 I just about cried on an airplane watching Juno for the first time. And the soundtrack to Juno is like one of the best out there. Like I I don't think you can go wrong with Juno, man. Yeah. But no. this is their follow up, technically. But it's not really like in any way supposed to be like a spiritual successor to uh-huh. to Juno. It's like a completely different vibe. Um it's about Charlie's Theron, who is uh kind of a failing writer and she gets a an email from her her like ex high school sweetheart like patrick wilson who is in everything by the way (laughs) and that's very true (laughs) he's got a baby and she determines that like she's meant to be with him and she drives back to her hometown to like go break up his marriage and um get with him and why I watched this movie is I had, I've been reading this book at work called Bad Feminist, um, and it talks about this phenomenon in film these days, where, um, you know, we have a rise of male antiheroes, and just mm-hmm. like protagonists who aren't necessarily likable, um, and it makes them more grounded and more human, but when it comes to women in film, um, and there's no like anti-heroine, you know, Yeah. there is just like an unlikable female protagonist and always becomes the, the subject of like critical debate. And so what happened with this movie is Charlize Theron's character is like not a likable person. Um, and people were just like, okay like is she mentally ill or something why isn't she likable and like it's just apparently really hard to accept that like the writer intended for this character to be like deeply flawed in human mm-hmm. and and that being the basis of the screenplay and i i i watched this so maybe we could examine that phenomenon on a on a greater spectrum like throughout film you know this Mm-hmm. This likability when it comes to protagonists and why a lot of people seem to think that when a character is written, it has to be someone that they would want to be friends with. Right. So Young Adult was a great example I watched. Um, I, I didn't love the movie, but I definitely saw what they were going for. And I think that Charlize Theron was absolutely great. And I don't think that her character needed to be based in mental illness. I think it's totally valid for her to be a douchebag. Um, and I think that maybe that could bring us to an even earlier example, which is uh, The Graduate. Um, because that premise is is very similar, I think. You know, Dustin Hoffman starts having an affair with an older woman, and meanwhile he's messing around with the older woman's like daughter and he's just like having it his way. And I don't think that that character is necessarily supposed to be unlikable, but he's deeply flawed. You know, he makes yeah. choices that maybe we wouldn't agree with. And if he were supposed to be our friend, you know, we'd look down on him. But like people, 
hold that movie to a very high standard and they hold that character in very high regard and that performance in high regard and I just think it's interesting you know we have these two concepts in the one uh, in the 60s with the male lead is, is very critically acclaimed and young woman is, is very mixed you know the Rotten Tomatoes score is high but uh, I mean young adult not young woman uh, mm-hmm. the Rotten Tomatoes score is very high but the IMDB score is like 6.2 and if you go through and read reviews of it, like people are losing their shit. They're like, she's like just an asshole. I don't get it. What's the, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It's interesting. You bring up the graduate. I actually watched it not too long ago. Um, really? Yeah. I feel like, I think every character in that movie is set up to be flawed and set up to be, um, well, actually, I wouldn't say every character. You could look at the uh, you look at the daughter um, that he, you know, messes around with. Um, I can't remember. Do you remember her name? Elaine. Elaine. Because that's the that's the famous line. He's like Elaine. Yeah. Elaine. <laughs> um, I. She seems to be like the the, you know, the angelic woman character. You know, like she like her mother is an evil witch, but. Um, she really like can do no wrong, you know. Kind of, she like leaves the, uh, she even leaves the wedding, um, to go be with uh, Dustin Hoffman's character. And yeah. It's so weird though because if you think about the ending of that movie when they're just sitting there, there's like, what do we do now? <laughs> I just think it's kind of <laughs> funny, but. Um, that's so but good. Yeah. That's that's one of the best endings. I know, right? Like, it starts out with him being uncertain about his future, and then it ends with him being uncertain about his future. It's almost like nothing changed, even though everything changed. I I love it. It's a great ending. I do think that that's an interesting point you bring up, that she's, like, the angelic, like, archetype, because that's something that the book I was reading was discussing, is that, you know, we really like our female characters, like, passive and innocent, like... I've been I've been yeah. watching this show I may destroy you and it's about a rape um, and what's interesting about the show is that the main character is not necessarily a very likable character either she uses her rape um, and for social media attention and she ignores many of her friends who are also going through like sexual assault or promiscuous situations she's just not there for them and she's kind of swept up in like the clout that um, being at the head of like a feminist movement like that can give you. And I thought that was a really interesting take because, you know, most of the time when we see rape victims in television, it's like they're, they're innocent. They, they're Mm -hmm. broken, they're shattered. um, And they're always in like really great support systems though. It's like every main character on the show is like, Oh man, rape is really bad that we're here for you, girl. Like, don't worry. But like, you know, there's no chance for that character to be human. You know, they're just like, you just cover them up in a blanket and you put them in a chair. And like, that's, that's your typical rape victim. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. most episodes of Law and Order SVU right there. Yeah. Which <laughs> you watch that like hundreds and hundreds of times. And it, it did make me like wonder like why, why are there not like, more like women characters who you know do things that are like not <laughs> completely like angelic you know that yeah. they're not absolute paragons of virtue well um, um i mean if i may put forth a hypothesis um oh please um I've been reading a lot of articles on uh, feminist film theory recently, um, mainly due to one of my classes. But one of the recent ones I read uh, is called Images and Women by Robin Wood. Um, And she kind of goes through and she critiques the the Hollywood feminism. Um, You see, there are, let me me preface this with, there are several ways that feminism um, is, is... thought to be portrayed in cinema. You have the Godard counter cinema, one, uh, you know, film theorist, I can't remember her name, but 
um, she vehemently um, rejects the Hollywood system, making films within the Hollywood system, and that independent cinema is the only way that you can truly make a feminist film, and that you have to use Godard's counter cinema. And Godard's counter cinema is basically, you know, there's like seven things that make up um, what cinema is, like narrative structure, um, you know, character uh, arcs and stuff like that. Godard's counter cinema is exactly the opposite of that. So he, he challenges his viewers by like not telling a linear story, sometimes not really even telling a story at all, um, and does a bunch of these things the opposite um, and that's why they call it counter cinema. It's countering exactly what we've come to know within the Hollywood system. And so there's this notion that, that you have to make films outside of the Hollywood system in, in the form of counter cinema to be feminist. Robin Wood, however, is saying a movie like Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a very feminist film. It's a female director. Um, oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amy Heckerling. Directed, uh, I thought Fast it was Richard High. Linklater. Is Richard no. Linklater involved at all with that movie? Um, he might be. I can check real quick if you want me to. It's because uh, I have it on my recently watched. It's um, I didn't know it was directed by a woman either until literally it's taken this a couple weeks ago. I figured out. Um, oh my god! But uh, you see the crew. Um. Maybe no, not. He's not. Oh, here. it's Cameron Crowe. Yeah, it's Cameron Crowe. Uh, completely writer. different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Amy Heckerling did Clueless as well. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Look Who's Talking. Uh, did a Lampoon movie. Um, but, um, you know, Robin Wood kind of talks about how, and, and, and Kathleen Kennedy, or no, I'm sorry, not Kathleen Kennedy. Oh, my God. Um uh what's her name woman who did uh the hurt locker oh and, uh, um, oh crap and and point break oh no yeah. Catherine, Catherine uh, bigelow yeah Catherine bigelow yeah there Catherine bigelow kind of did the same thing working within a hollywood system and subtly sneaking in you know feminist um ideals and feminist imagery and one of the things about like what you were saying with why women are, are held in movies are held to the standard of being like you know angelic and and they can't really be the anti-heroes um, I think Amy Heckerling doesn't really she she kind of like paves the way for this in my opinion of uh, obviously since you know Ridgemont High was like 79 I believe was when it was made so, excuse me. Oh wait, no, no. maybe it was eighty-two. Actually, 80. I think I think it was eighty-two. It was eighty-two. I have it right. Oh yeah, you're right. It was eighty-two. Um. So anyway, Amy Heckerling, um, of course, it was nineteen eighty-two. So she couldn't, you know, overtly make a, a horrible like woman character. But Fast Times at Ridgemont High is all about sex, and it's a teenager movie. And Robin Wood kind of asserts that there are a few things that are in, teen in teenager movies. And the first one's sex, very obviously. Mm. And the second one's the suppression of parents. And the multi-character movies, the, you know, to get a, a wide array of, you know, the uh, youth audience. For Hunter slash Hunted, it's like... Uh, two male figures. Um, one is the one is kind of the the one who knows all about it, and the one who doesn't, you know. Um, and uh, that's that's kind of what they have named them. And then number five is uh, the repression of homosexuality. Talking about there's no Ugh. gay teenagers in America, or at least in the film this is what the film is saying. Like there's no gay people here, but you have to subtly feminists feminists have to subtly like sneak or director women directors have to sneak things like this in because in fast times at ridgemont high there are no sexually gratifying sequences every sex scene there is 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 super uncomfortable like yeah they'll show like women's breasts like because it's like it's like a rated r film and it's a teenage movie and then you see like women's breasts and then all of a sudden 
immediately after like the first sex scene or after there's like a scene where they're uh, practicing giving you know blowjobs with carrots immediately after that scene it's a shot of dead animals in formaldehyde and then after that it, after another sex scene um it, it's immediately cut to the mall where two of our main our main woman characters are slicing up a sausage like just cutting a sausage up so it plays on like castration anxiety and stuff like that and mm. so what i'm kind of getting at here to bring it full circle is that within the hollywood system at least you know up until now maybe they're you know get a little bit more lenient with it but directors women directors especially really haven't had the agency to be able to write the characters that they want to write and basically and and direct the way they want to direct and write that you know just make the movies that they want to make so with you know the anti-hero of women of course hollywood wouldn't allow something like that if if they ever did then they would have to sneak it in there which is exactly what Catherine bigelow and amy heckerling and a bunch of these other uh women were doing in a hollywood system um which I think is super fascinating. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, no. that's my hypothesis for why there isn't any, you know, there very well could be some, you know, in the in the near future of, of more uh, diverse character options for women, but that's my very long and drawn out hypothesis. <laughs> your, your, your hypothesis has a lot of interesting points in it too, though. Like, not only does it come to like likability, but, like, women and sexuality in movies, mm-hmm. I think that's another interesting, like, thing to examine because men are allowed to be very openly sexual. Like, James Bond, uh, for example, you know, he just sleeps with mm-hmm. whatever women he pleases. They're disposable yeah. to him. Uh, but it, it, it seems like in film, like, in a lot of popular film, the more sexual, like, a woman is, the more it's tied to her, like you know, trashiness and lack of success. Like, I I think Mm -hmm. one of the weirder stereotypes in film is, like, this asexual uh, woman at the top of the leaderboard, you know, stereotype. Like, you know, Meryl Streep and, like, The Devil Wears Prada, she seems like she doesn't have any intimacy with anyone. She's, like, you know, she's not sexual at all, but she's at the top of the she's at the top of the world because she's never yeah sex having you know she doesn't have intimacy and like that's the case with a, a lot of characters like woman uh the woman who is like a virgin who's like innocent and, and chaste you know they are are seen as like higher somehow and like usually like girls who have sex like especially if it's like a high school movie they're seen as like sluts and like terrible characters like you know, and even if it's just implied, like the sex having female characters are awful. The chaste and pure ones or just those who cut themselves off from intimacy are successful and in high regard. And that's just a, a, another example. Like women characters just aren't allowed to be human because, I mean, if you put it simply, like women are as horny as men are. You know, that's just yeah. like something we we can't ignore in the world is that people like like sex, you know, and it's both genders do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to, to pretend in film and stories that, you know, that's not the reality. I feel like that's really harmful, actually. You know, it makes a lot of people feel guilty when they have those feelings in real life. Um And I'm not even saying this is, like, strictly, like, a religious thing. Like, I do think this is, like, a culture thing. This is a gender role stereotype at this point. It definitely is. But, um, I I think with the anti-heroine where we're at is we don't quite have, you know, Walter White figures with, like, women yet. Like, that's not a thing. But we do have, like, more openly antagonistic women in film i think one of the more interesting characters that sparked a lot of discussion over the years is amy dunn in gone girl which this is like our seventh time talking about gone girl but let's oh, do yeah. it that's you know? fine with me <laughs> but like amy is 
a character who seems kind of like a character a male would write because essentially it's like oh here's this character that proves like the feminist me too movement is like bullshit she fakes her own rape she fakes her own murder she tries to pin it on her husband but like i don't think that's the point of the character is that she's like trying to break up the marriage or anything because i do think that she is supposed to be like a crazy character that we're not like rooting for per se but i think i think there's more there um especially in the book i was hearing an excerpt from it uh amy is is really focused on how women are molded by men she has this whole passage um let me see if i can pull it up because it's a really good passage about like how men um mold women yeah yeah i I think that's the whole point of, of amy dunn's character is that she's her whole life has been kind of you know um informed by men men's opinions and and things like that um yeah and even her parents you know with the amazing amy books they've taken her life out of her hands and they've they've blown up every like life event to this like massive scale you know Mm -hmm. it's not her her character was never in her control you know it was always like those around her shaping her and and including when she meets her husband uh nick in the movie you know Mm -hmm. it it then becomes about like having successful marriage and i think that you know gone girl is probably more of a movie about like the secrets that we keep in relationships and how it's like absurd to think that anyone could be like 100 percent honest in like a marriage like that like you'll never know what your partner is thinking like even a quarter of the time is is Mm -hmm. what that movie is trying to say but i think on top of that it's like there is this expectation that um men and women have that like the woman's gonna fulfill these certain roles like be loving to the man like i i can't find her monologue right now from the book but it's essentially like you know guys want girls who are hot girls who are cool they play video games they drink beer they burp they fart and they want them to be skinny on top of all of that because it's most important that they're hot and like that's a total like you know breakdown mm-hmm. of what men yeah. want from women you know we want our cake and we want to eat it too when it comes to women because like even though we enjoy hobbies that like exclude fitness and and eating like men are allowed to be like you know they're allowed to have dad bods women don't yeah. have that equivalent you know there's no right. there's no mom bod if you say mm-hmm. someone looks pregnant that's an insult you know that's yeah yeah that's horrible especially if they're not pregnant it's oh like, yeah yeah ooh. definitely but um i think that that movie has allowed for more characters like amy um because there shows out now like killing eve where you know the the protagonist slash antagonist of the show is a literal assassin who mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have like any kind of moral like compass and just exists to like fuck around with the main character. Yeah. And, and I'm glad about that for sure. Mm-hmm. But I do hope that we're getting kind of closer to just like being comfortable with women being in movies and not necessarily like being likable or like being paragons of virtue or being um, overtly sexual because yeah notice, like even though the women are evil they can, they can be sexual then they're still the male gaze is still there you know like they're still uh subject to that and i think back to the um reese witherspoon's character in election she's a Ooh, yes. she's a piece of shit in that movie but she's super sexualized. So even though you hate her character, also that movie's just kind of weird. Like apparently like as you get older, like different age groups agree with different people. Uh, They side with different characters, but you can basically say, you know, she's kind of a shitty person. And yet 
I, I don't know. It's like yet she, uh, you want her to have a redeeming quality about her, probably just because, you know, she's so sexualized. But super yeah. weird. No, I, the thing that struck me about Election, which I, I really love Tom Bar- Perota's writing there. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a great movie. It's like the... the here, I'll, I'll explain the premise for people who haven't heard it. It's basically yeah. like this math teacher. This, this teacher played by Matthew Broderick is an older man. And there's a high school student um, who's running for, you know, class president. Um, Stacey, and that's played by... Reese Witherspoon um but you know they don't get along and and like she's doing everything she possibly can to win the the student election and he's doing everything in his power to stop her she has an affair with another teacher at some point and in your typical movie you know for some reason we as the audience would want to see these characters become friends you know we would want them to like have their moment of redemption each but the, the, the great thing about Election is that it's about two characters who are inherently shitty. Like, they're both terrible. Like, Matthew Broderick is trying to have an affair um, with his, like, his, his best friend's former something. wife. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like the, the oh, teacher you're... who had an affair with uh, Reese Witherspoon, he's trying to move in on his wife. Yeah. You know, yeah. now that he's out of the picture. Um, Crazy and, web. You know, we in that movie, like, it's easy to be like, oh, my gosh, we're seeing it from his perspective. I feel bad for him. But he's much shittier. Like, mm-hmm. if you break it down, and that's the interesting thing about this movie is I think it's supposed to be broken down. You have, like, a man nearing his 40s doing everything he can to sabotage, like, a 17-year-old girl's um, dreams. And what I really like about Election is it says... That yeah, he's the fucking crazy asshole. Um, the 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 innocent high school girl. Well, she's not innocent, but the the high school girl, of course, is the one who should come out of that on top. And that's what happens. Reese Witherspoon wins the class election. She gets to be an aide to uh, a Republican congressman. And Matthew Broderick, you know, his wife leaves him, and he's stuck working at a museum. And he encounters her again at the end of the movie and, you know, she has it all and he has nothing and he just like throws a soda at her car and that's, and she doesn't even really notice. Mm -hmm. And that's like the end of the movie. And that's what I really love about that movie is it's like, okay, stop taking your bias against women characters like that and, and like analyze the full picture here. When yeah. you when you break it down, this character is completely reasonable, and the fact that they're unlikable is just part of their character. It makes them more human. Um, I think while we're talking about characters like this, uh, if if you don't mind going to television with me, there's a character that I've always wanted to f- defend that I think people are terrible to all the time, and I think that's Skylar White on Breaking Bad. Do you like Skylar uh, White? Um. So, I think Skylar White's character makes sense. The decisions she makes make sense for her character. She annoys the absolute fuck out of me, though. I cannot stand her. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm, I think I see what you're saying, though. Like, I see what you're about to say about Skylar White. Like, her decisions, the way she's written, is a perfectly, you know, fine, fine written, finely written character. She makes sense. She just personally annoys me, but... I do know that people hate on her for kind of no reason, but it what baffles me about the hate for Skylar White is like I think that all of her reactions are like a reaction anyone would have, and then mm-hmm. plus she she's even a little bit more unreasonable because she goes along with a lot more than I think a typical person would like. Skylar White finding out that her husband is a drug lord, like, I think in real life, you know, that results in a divorce. She takes the kids. She leaves. Where I think that people overlook Skylar White's, like, cooler aspects is that she goes along with, like, the business for, like, a while there. She brings, like, great ideas to it. Um, But it's interesting that people draw the line with morally dubious stuff with, like, an affair, 
and it's Skyler's mm-hmm. affair. It's like the instant Skyler starts cheating on Walter White, people seem to solidify that they hate her. You know, and like it's not just like men who watch the show. Like I've talked to a lot of people, like everyone hates her at that point, and I I honestly don't get it. Like the affair storyline isn't at the forefront. It doesn't really damage Walter because their marriage is kind of a sham at that point anyway and he's clearly like not invested in it and so I wonder like why the hate like I I get that you know it's a male writer writing her most of the time and so most of her lines sound like Walter you sick bastard or something (laughs) like that So I, I can get where maybe the annoyance comes there, but like when people are saying like, oh, she's such a bitch, like I don't I don't understand. Like I don't think she's being a bitch at all. I think that this woman has, has put up with way too much shit from mm-hmm. this guy. And she even like goes the extra mile and like, you know, puts up with a little bit more and helps out with the drug business. And then, you know, when she finally leaves, it's like, thank God, like get out of there, dude. That's mm-hmm. the way I see it. I think she's I think she's one of the characters we should feel sorry for. And I mean, I know she does bad shit on the show, but like god, do I feel sorry for her. Yeah, I I agree um because the thing about Breaking Bad is I, I think people hate Skylar so much because you know, for a lot of the show we're trying to root for Walter. But the show comes to a certain point where you can no longer do that. Walter has become something else. He's essentially become he's he's evil. He's become evil. Like there's no two ways about it. But um, and I think that and Skyler trying to interfere with that. It's like it's almost like she's the antagonist, or at least in the fans' eyes. It's like, why are you doing this? This is our boy Walt. Quit, <laughs> quit doing this. And then, you know, by the end of it. I'm glad that I'm glad that she got out because you know Walter just becomes you know he becomes the villain, um, and then it's very hard to root for him. So you have to root for somebody else. I think really Jesse becomes the one you root for, but mm-hmm. Skyler, the whole the fan base not liking Skyler's character that just comes from probably the. Um, it's a double standard, really. It's exactly what you're, you know, that book's talking about, about, you know, unlikable women. Uh, not that she's just inherently unlikable, just that she, she's making decisions that gets in the way of our male character. And I think people don't like that. Yeah, we don't like to see him, like, impeded from what he's doing. And, like, I get, like, when you're watching the show, you're like, ugh. I want to see him make millions of dollars and keep getting away with it. But like at the same time, you know, there's characters that are, are stopping, you know, this character's goals way more than Skylar White. Like where's that hate for like a character like Hank or a character Mm -hmm. like Gus or even, you know, a character. I mean, people seem to agree that the neo-Nazis suck, (laughs) but like, Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like a I hate him so much I lo- I love to hate him kind of deal, and I don't think yeah. that people have that with Skylar White, and I I think that's interesting. You know, I think like it's it doesn't just come down to like the impeding of goals. I think it does matter like the gender in the in the relationship role. Like people think that if you're gonna be a wife on television, you have to be devoted and caring, and I think that's the thing is like. Skyler like still is like a mom and like a devoted wife on the show and like the instant she breaks away from that we become uncomfortable and we dislike her for it yeah when and we when we justify it we we forget that there's several other characters on the show that fulfill Skyler White's criteria of impeding the main character's goals or hurting the main character like the shit she does doesn't even compare to like the shit the drug lords do to Walt, you know, or the neo Nazis, right. or even Hank fucking Schrader himself. Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree. One. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a woman thing. It's a, uh, it's pretty hypocritical. 
that's that's the case with a lot of AMC shows though. Like people really hate um, Lori Grimes. They really uh, yeah, I was hate. I about to say um, Lori. Lori Lori's interesting to me because I think in that instance that's just a bad adaptation of a character because uh-huh. the 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 comic book Lori it well okay actually this is some me realizing something as I'm saying it she just doesn't cause conflict in the comic books for the most part like mm. she is just like oh I I am nice wife character um, and yeah. then she dies and I think that where people don't like her in the show comes from the fact that she's like you you son of a bitch you were off with yeah, you were off not... in like a coma I, I, I couldn't help it I had to fuck Shane you know? yeah well she's not same thing can be said about about uh, fucking Skyler and about even Marie in Breaking Bad and Lori in The Walking Dead and pretty much any other you know woman character that that people find annoying in shows it's because they're not passive. Yeah, they, women they're characters not... are mainly written to written to be passive, and in these shows they're not passive. They make decisions that affect you know how the show is going, and that just makes people mad. Even though the the the, the male characters are doing the same exact thing, you know. Yeah, like people. It's interesting, people don't seem to give that hate to, like, Shane in that scenario, though. Like, Oh, I fucking hate here, Shane, personally. It, fucking hate him, but... Personally, that dude sucks, and in the comics, <laughs> they were right to kill him off after, like, six issues. Like, that yeah. dude sucks balls. <laughs> but, like, the thing is, you more, you more often hear, like, oh, Lori's the shitty one because she moved on from her husband. But, like what shane also like started that whole thing you know he he chose to like go seek out his best friend's like wife and and the thing is like people in their ideal version of events would probably have Lori just like you know be chased and and not like make contact with another human ever for like the rest of time you know that's just the ideal mm. And, and that's our favorite type of, like, widow character to see, too, is, like, the ones who don't move on, you know, the ones that are, like, and I never married again. I think that's even a standard in real life, too. You know, people, yeah. people like Steve Irwin's widow, uh, she says oh, yeah, that she's that. never, yeah, she's never gone on another date since he died. But mm. I think that's, like, a preference, you know? Like, I think that yeah. if she had, there might even be some, like, antagonism towards her like what the hell you know steve Irwin was like the best guy in the world what are you doing moving on Mm -hmm. like it's not her right to like move on yeah which is really shitty it is i'm trying to think if there is an example you know like a a better example of this where someone was widowed and they and they uh they moved on well i mainly i just have personal experience of it Growing up in a really? small town, if, if somebody's husband dies, um, a woman's husband, and she goes on and, and remarries, or even in a divorce, um, it's looked upon, you know, very kind of, kind of in, in a negative, negative connotation. If, if you get a divorce and then you go and you start dating somebody, they're like, how could they do that? And I'm like, well... It is their life. It is their business. You know, we don't know what's going on in, in their head, really. And um, and it's the same with, with the, you know, widows. And the role, and the roles honestly aren't as reversed. Um, I can't say that there's a different, um, because they're still kind of looked upon kind of the same way as if it was a, a man, you know, re-divorcing and then remarrying or, uh, having a, a dead wife and then going on other dates, people don't uh, look at it the same way. Still, no, we, but we're more accepting of that narrative for sure. Like I could think of yeah. shows where I've seen men, older men, who are like entering into relationships again. Um, like, like there's a like subplot on Dexter where like this FBI agent's like wife has died, and so. You know, it's totally cool for him to make the moves on this, like, younger, like, mm-hmm. police officer. But I can't think of, like, an equivalent, like, with with a, with a woman, 
you know, doing that. And I'm sure that there's some movie or character about that. But I mean, yeah. quite simply put, it's it's probably not in the mainstream. Like, I yeah. don't know that there is a mainstream thing. Also, I didn't intend to find this out, but um, did you know there's like laws about widows? Like a widower um, can't like receive benefits if they remarry before the age of 60 like if you're if you're like a 30 something and your your wife or husband like dies you know you have to wait until you're the age of 60 to remarry if you want the benefits of like being a widow which is like fucking crazy that's <laughs> it's essentially weird like it's in our laws to just stay they... faithful to like your partner forever even if they're your dead partner <laughs> Are they are they trying are they trying to discourage murdering for money or? <laughs> if if that's the case, I mean, look, that's if I was gonna weird. murder for money, like I don't need to be married, you know, like I'll just have like a bunch of like casual partners for the rest of my life and and reap in my my dead uh, partners like vast <laughs> inheritance. The meanwhile. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know why that needs to be written in a law. Like what what's so significant about the age of 60 that it's like, "Oh, you can get remarried now." But can you probably think of anything? I don't know. Probably cuz 60 is like the age that you start Honestly, I don't I don't I can't tell you. I don't know. That's weird. It's like maybe maybe it's to stop children. I don't know. Like <laughs> you're not going to be know. exactly having any more kids at age 60 usually. We've got right. a bunch of nonsense rules, if you think about it, honestly. Oh, yeah, I know. America's just nonsense. That's the truth, sister. That's the truth. <laughs> That's the tea, sis. Um, I guess, you know, a great way to wrap this up is to, like, maybe try and think of, like, some more mainstream, like, movie examples, if we can. Um, I do think that one of the more interesting arcs going on right now um is is on WandaVision without spoilers i will say like the mm. character of Wanda Maximoff has been kind of like questionable in her choices and mm-hmm. you know not necessarily like a reasonable or like likable person but people still are are gravitating towards the show and they still seem to like hold that character like dear and that's very encouraging to see like a morally dubious character in the marvel cinematic universe who's a woman yeah. uh getting to do all this that that's great um yeah and there i do i do women characters in that show that are awesome like, yeah a, it's a pretty much a woman-led ensemble almost yeah i mean it. like there's there's uh madeline khan who's great um mm-hmm. wait no that's not her name is it monica rambo are you no. talking about character oh. names or actress names i don't know actress i'm talking names. about actress names the the, oh, okay. the woman who plays agnes oh yeah from, i don't like, know her name parks and ricks oh madeline khan someone who's dead she was in like blazing saddles what is uh what is this girl's name i'm not gonna say her character's full name because that's like a spoiler Um, oh yeah Mm. i am gonna find this out oh katherine hahn katherine hahn yeah yeah she's great and then there's kat dennings and yeah paris i think you nailed it yeah I, I really do like to watch interviews with people, you know, where they can specify name pronunciation so I don't look like, mm-hmm. a, like a darn fool. Yeah, right. I, even before this podcast, I had to re-look up, like, Gillian Flynn because it's spelled with a G, so I always want to say Gillian. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always say Gillian Flynn as well. It just, it looks right, you know? It's like a gill. Right. And an E-N, yeah. and then you've got the Flynn. No, that's, so that's an interesting show going on right now. I'd even think throughout the MCU, we've we've had characters like Nebula who um, have gotten to have, like, fleshed out arcs over a few movies, which is great. Um, 
I will say that the friction towards that character versus a character like the Winter Soldier has been kind of weird because people will be like, Nebula's a bitch. But, like, mm-hmm. people don't seem to call, like, Bucky on his shit for being, like, <laughs> you know, a villain, like, most of the time. <laughs> yeah. And they keep, they keep hyping Bucky Barnes up to be like, oh, he's going to do something, like, heroic in this next movie. And then he, like, never does, like, yeah. as of yet. I mean, obviously, he's getting his own show, so that might change soon. But Yeah, he's still, we still have time. <laughs> we still have time, Bucky. We still have time. <laughs> I, was, I was also, yeah, to, to, to lure in our audience, I was trying to think of an example in Star Wars, but there isn't, <laughs> like, a ton. <laughs> Captain Phasma. Captain Phasma. Captain Phasma is a great example of like how to just like waste a character's waste a, potential. Yeah, I was like, oh, just completely just throw it out, dude. That's so ridiculous. I hate that they did that to that character. That's the weird thing to me is I really do like Last Jedi and Force Awakens a lot more, but they have the like weak captain phasma presence in both of them and then you know rise of skywalker just you know is like oh she's dead completely don't worry about her and i'm still not satisfied like all three movies i'm just like captain phasma what what's the deal what's what's the point yeah yeah it's it's such a shame uh Ray's, I think Ray's a different spectrum because like Ray never does anything that's necessarily like unquestionable. That was definitely warranted to our our Mary Sue discussion because oh yeah, you know definitely. people's problem with her seems to be that she's so that she's perfect. too perfect. Yeah, she's too perfect. We can't have it either where, way. Yeah, I was like, where's the line here, guys? Where what do we what do we do here? It's just kind of forced diversity to even have women in movies. If we could just have a, a lot more penises, that would be really great. That would be super awesome if we could just have a little bit more penises. There's, there's a little too much boobies on telly. We've got <laughs> to get some dicks in there, please. Some <laughs> balls too, sir, if you'd be so kind. Some balls too, please. Please, I'm begging. Um, <laughs> Well, this has been a interesting discussion. Yeah, we didn't solve um, we didn't solve a lot, but we sure did talk about a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's all that's all it is. It's just a discussion. Maybe our audiences will solve it for us. All I feel I, like all I have are hypotheses. So. <laughs> yeah, we can just hypothesize, and and I feel like the greatest benefit of like talking about stuff like this is just making people more aware. You know, and and adding like thought layers, like the next time you see something and you're like, oh, that character's being a total bitch, like maybe thinking about it for a second and and, and thinking like, why do I think that are they a bitch? And I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's always cool to be a little bit more mindful. And it's honestly brought a real interesting dynamic to a lot of films that I might not have enjoyed previously. Like, Mm -hmm. I think if I had seen young adult before hearing that passage in Bad Feminist, I might have agreed, like, oh my gosh, Charlie Theron is kind of, like, a terrible person. What's even the point? And yeah. now now I see, like, that maybe that is just the point, and that's perfectly mm-hmm. fine, because to be human is to kind of be flawed and terrible yeah. <laughs> a yeah. lot of the time. Comes down to good character writing. Like, for for example, I do have all those bodies in my closet that I gotta clean up, but you don't hold it against me. No, you still dude, host I just this do podcast a podcast with, with you every week. Yeah, it's like, I murdered all those people, and you're just complicit. Yeah. <sighs> That's so does nice. That make me, does that make me evil? No, I don't think so. Unless you call really? the cops, and then, you know, I think you're kind of a bitch if you do that. Yeah, well, no, well, I already, I'm already past that phase, you know, I thought about calling the cops, like, when you first told me, but then I was kind of like, you know, I, I have this podcast, and I don't want to, I don't want to ruin that, so, I'll just overlook Isaac's little, you know, character flaw here. God, it's a great thing, too, that you're so reasonable and, and nice. Yeah. Do you play video games? Um, yeah. 
Are you a gamer boy? I am a gamer boy. I'm a oh gamer. my god! Oh my god! We have a real gamer boy in the lobby right gamer. now. Do you, I just, you know, I I really respect you for gaming, boy. Um, do you have a girlfriend or anything? I, I do. Yeah. Oh well. She goes to another school. You wouldn't know her. It's. But... What if we? What if I private message you anyway? You know, are you cool with that? Yeah. <laughs>